Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another Basement Binge episode that I'm extremely excited about. You've seen the title. This is the follow-up episode to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, rightfully called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows. So I'm very, very excited to get into this film. I'm joined by Matt from Matt Goes to the Movies. Sadly, Rob could not join us. I think it's his wife's birthday, so understandably not able to join us. But thank you a ton for being here, Matt. As always, great to have you here. Yeah, um, like I said, I was looking forward to to having Rob with us again. I I really enjoyed the last episode, but uh, understandably so, he wants to stay married. So um, I think that comes first before the podcast. But I am I'm happy to be here. So uh, looking forward to it. Yes, definitely, I agree with you there. I, I'm very excited to talk about this, especially after last episode where the three of us, I really think, had a blast and were all shocked by Rob's response to the point where your reaction made it into the Basement Binge Hall of Fame. I've listened to your what reaction to Rob's, I think it was like 3.75 rating. I don't even remember what he gave it. I just remember your reaction. So I've been very excited to get into this, especially because randomly read this article that mentioned something interesting about it. So I'm very excited to get into it here which we will do with our very first segment, Two Cents. So any new listeners to The Basement Binge, this is two minutes, you know, up to two minutes of uninterrupted time to give our spoiler-free reaction to the film, what we think of it, completely spoiler-free. And Matt, I will let you go first, since I went first last time. Yeah, so uh, this movie is called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, and part of me feels like it should have stayed in the shadows. 
I do have somewhat of a soft spot because this movie, parts of it were filmed right here where I live. Uh, I actually got to see part of this filming, which was really, really cool to see. Uh, but there's a lot of choices with this movie that do not seem to fit. Uh, it definitely feels like they backtracked on the development of the turtles in this movie. The script also seems a lot more, I hate to use the word like kid friendly and geared towards kids, but I definitely got that impression when I watched this movie again. And there's just a lack for me, there's a lack of stakes between the turtles and shredder, which in the first movie I really didn't mind because I just had fun with it in this movie though. I feel like there's a lot of missed opportunities. And when we first reviewed the first Turtles movie, I said it really reminded me a lot of the first Transformers movie, the way it shot, um, the score. It, it reminded me a lot of that in this movie, the opening. If that's not just a copy and paste of the Transformers theme, I, I don't know what is. <laughs> but it, But at the same time, this movie to me feels like Revenge of the Fallen compared to the first Transformers movie. Um, it's a huge step back, like I said, in, in many areas, uh, much of which we'll get to in the spoiler section. But I, I don't want to go any further because I will get into spoilers. But this definitely, compared to the first one, uh, it is a miss for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll follow up with my two cents here and add that, that it's really interesting because... I have recorded an episode. It's not up yet, Matt, so you haven't heard it. But listeners, if they followed along, they've heard it, where I talked about why I picked these films, like why they're important to me, why I picked them as, so to speak, my birthday celebration for the podcast. Like of all movies that I wanted to be a celebration, why these movies? And it's because in my kind of discovery of my love and film, these were kind of crucial for them. And it's kind of frustrating because seeing these, I see things that are like, man, this is really, really great. But then it so quickly switches to, wow, this is really, really boring and really generic and really tailored to like the lowest common denominator. Whether it's like having fun with the turtles and loving that relationship, which we talked about was so good last time, to then quickly switch to like really stupid, unnecessary infighting between the turtles as if they didn't learn anything from the past movie. I mean, the score goes from being like really fantastic to being like a literal ripoff of the Transformers score. And then, you know, the directing goes from really, like, fun, impactful choices in the edit to just, like, super basic, run-of-the-mill blockbuster. I mean, e even the story goes from, you know, a, a, what I think is a fun cat and mouse between Shredder, mainly Bebop and Rhapsody, and the Turtles, and just kind of, like, this, this globe-trotting nonsense. And then it, like, tries to shove in a bunch of other things, and then it gets to the ending really quickly. Like, it, it feels like the first two-thirds of this movie are completely different than the final third of it. Um, and the final third being the weakest and then how that's how you end the movie kind of overshadows the good things that happen in the rest of the film. So it, it just quickly goes between good and like, like, and, and then just really mediocre really quickly. Uh, I agree with what you said that, that the story just isn't there. Um, the love for the turtles can't hold me as much because they don't allow the turtles to be as lovable if that makes any sense um it, it, it definitely feels cheesier i was watching it with my wife the final 30 minutes of it and she's like wow this is way cheesier than the other one and i felt like they were trying to lean into like almost the campiness of turtles 
but in a bad way where it just makes it like, oh, we're trying to make a kid's movie. Uh, and it's like, well, if you're trying to make a kid's movie, then make a kid's movie, you know? And, and it seems like they're trying to like walk this line. Um, and, and the script, we talked about this last time, how the script has lines that like, how did those make it out of production to be in the final cut of the movie? And it's even worse here, particularly with the character of Donatello. Like there's literally a line that I wrote down and this is just one of like 50 examples. He says, and they're, they're in the final battle. This isn't, hopefully this isn't a spoiler. In the final battle, there's this big MacGuffin that they've got to stop or else the world's over, you know, just like all these blockbusters that we're used to. And they're trying to stop it. And he says, the ultrasonic sensors indicate that the beacon's location is somewhere near the command module a few hundred feet ahead. If we remove it, we should be able to t- send it back. It's like, you are literally reading that off a page. Like, you don't know that. Uh, you know, and, and so there's so many things. Yeah, I, I don't want to get into the spoilers too much. And so there are some things that I really do love about this, a few scenes. Um, but this is how I'll sum up my two cents. I've seen this movie before. I was re-watching it for this time. And as I was re-watching it, I genuinely was reminded like, oh, this is in this movie. I, I f- genuinely forgot what was in this movie besides like one or two things. Like maybe like six things at the most. Everything else, I, I just completely forgot. And it wasn't even like scenes that I remembered. It was just like, oh, like Bebop and Rotsteady are in this type of thing. Like that's what I remembered, but I didn't even like remember anything about them in this movie, if that makes sense. So very forgettable, which is a bummer because I felt like the first one was so like fun to love in like a imperfect way where this is kind of just like, man, why did they try and like reboot themselves when they didn't need to? Yeah, I before we get into the next thing, I just I love how you said that because this almost feels like a semi reboot even though they treat it like a sequel um there's just things in this movie that again from the first one to the second one are at least to me never were explained just like ah just go with it if you saw the first one oh well um and i can kind of draw my own conclusions but at the same time you almost dumbed down everything else in this movie but then there's just these gaps where you're like well why does shredder look younger why all of a sudden are there actual like the foot clan is actual ninjas with swords like you remember them to be what what happened to the military guys with guns um just like things like that that make it almost feel like it's a reboot slash sequel yeah, and it's weird, especially, I mean, if you haven't seen the first one, minor spoilers from that, to go from a, a mutagen in the ner- in the turtle's blood uh, that would just give people money and power over the city, you know, with Shredder's motives and his, his military team, his military foot clan, to, like, Krang, an, an interdimensional being. How did we get from one to the other so quickly? Which, I mean, I've got nothing wrong with Crane. If that's a villain that you want to use, that's fine. He's a super fun character in the canon of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But it doesn't feel like a progression from one to the other. It's just, they, they, they feel like two different movies that just happen to have similar characters. Right. Which is a bummer. And to kind of close out the two cents here, I want to bring up something that we're going to talk about and live up. I want to wait to talk about it and live up so that we can discuss it with spoilers. But randomly... I was reading this article on Forbes. I'll, list, I'll link it in the show notes. Um, and th- this was the title of the article. 
Um, Box Office Suicide Squad 2 gets Tomb Raider trapped with poor Friday opening. And, you know, I was kind of talking about the the Suicide Squad box office, which is a completely different conversation in its own. But this was the opening paragraph of the article, and I read it, and I was like, what? Like, like one, this is so weird how timely this is. Two, I don't agree with his opinion at all. He said, um, in essence, he's saying regular leaders can probably tell you about the Tomb Raider trap, namely when a much-hyped and anticipated flick becomes huge hit despite being bad to terrible, only for the much superior sequel to suffer commercially because audience decided once bitten, twice shy. So in essence, like, whether, you know, a film is made, it gets really hyped and it's not very good, um, but then people um, don't go see the second, even though the second is superior because they're, they're a little more weary because the first one wasn't as good. So anyway, you get the idea. And then he says, this is what it says. Classic examples include Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life, uh, the Adams Family Values, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. Like he's me- he mentioned Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. Of of all sequels you can pick, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is one of those that you want to mention where the sequel doesn't perform as good as the first, even though the sequel's better. Like I I don't agree with you in any way, and I thought it was so interesting. So there's your little hint about what we're going to talk about and live up, because I just. I don't know. Am, am I crazy in that I disagree with that so strongly? No, I don't think that. I don't think this is better. But uh, again, there's. You would sit there and think when you saw this, when you saw this movie announced and knew what it was going to be. It's almost like a. How can this miss? You have Bebop. You have Rocksteady. You have Krang, and it's like. Okay, um, these are all things I loved about the cartoon. You know what? Sure, maybe it doesn't feel like a natural progression from the first one to the second one, but if you can make a good movie, I don't care. But that's where they fail. I don't think this, uh, honestly, in any way, shape, or form, I really don't think this does anything better than the first one at all. But again, uh, uh, I, I'll digress because I'm just going to start going off into a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll save that for the live up. We'll talk about it there. Before we get into the spoilers, let's do our segment where we rummage for the rotten. So this is a segment where if I have any guests on the show, we're going to guess our ratings or, or not our ratings. We're going to guess who will be the rotten. The rotten is an individual who at the end of the episode gives it the lowest rating. It's going to be out of five reels. Carrying that over from match show. Um, Matt, I guessed first last time. I'll let you guess first this time. But I mean, there's only two of us. You can choose yourself if you'd like. But who do you think is going to be the Ron? Um, I honestly, I think it has to be me. Um, I, I just, I don't have a lot of nice things to say about this movie. I don't hate it, but I certainly don't like it. So I am... I am fairly, fairly confident that it will be me. Uh, and, you know, I'm right there with you. I'm too. And, and part of that is, one, somebody's got to fill in Rob's shoes. <laughs> but secondly, there, there's something about this that, like, I have almost like a nostalgia for, even though I've seen it recently. Like, there's something about it that uh, I explained more in the other episode that you haven't heard yet, um, but it will be released later about how it's kind of been impactful to me. 
And so it's easier for me to like accept the flaws that this has, even though I can clearly see it's glaring flaws. So I think it will be you. Um, but I think by the end of this, you will get me to be a lot more negative about it than I am right now. <laughs> and, and rightfully so. So uh, before we get into the spoilers here, if you haven't seen this film, spoilers coming. So if you want to go see this film, if we've, if we've done such a good job of convincing you, <laughs> yeah, pause now. You don't want to get any spoilers. Before we get into the spoilers, I want to talk about some brief announcements here at the Basement Binge. Like I mentioned, there's an episode that has already come out about my love for these two films and how they've been impactful to me. And also just a really random thought that really just came to me so quickly, kind of looking back with hindsight and being really grateful uh, for what I've the podcast has been and, and how fun it's been. So definitely go listen to that if you haven't already. Additionally, the La La Land episode is still coming. It might be a little bit more delayed than I expected. I, I'm moving over these next two weeks, so I'm very busy. <laughs> um, but I'm still going to try and make it happen in addition to a new great schedule coming that I have not figured out yet. If I had figured out the schedule, I'd give you the announcement for it right now. But I don't know what it is. Um, so if you want to support the show in any way, you can reach out over email, bingebasement at gmail.com. You can also leave a review on Podchaser. If you're enjoying this episode at all, please go to podchaser.com slash thebasementbinge. Leave a review there. It just lets me know which episodes you're enjoying. The reason that I recommend Podchaser, one, it's just a fantastic site. People call it the IMDb of podcasting, where you can figure out anything you want to know about a show. In addition to that, it allows you to leave reviews not only on the show as a whole, but on the individual episode. So it really gives me a chance to understand you listeners, which episodes you're enjoying and which ones you aren't. So it doesn't have to be a positive review. I would just appreciate any review at all. I also can reply to them. So yeah, those linked below. Um, before we get into the spoilers, Matt, as always, I want to give you a chance to plug your great show, Matt Goes to the Movies. Thanks. Yeah. Um, you know, if you've listened to any of the episodes that I've been on with Harrison and you have uh, come over, I mean, thank you. If this episode is the first one um, that you've listened to that will make you come over to Matt Goes to the Movies and just check that show out again. Thank you. Uh, it was, I've said this so many times, but I feel like I, I should mention every time it was a podcast that was inspired by the basement binge. Uh, I just happened to be, you know, kind of scrolling along and found this and listened to a couple episodes and was sitting home during the pandemic and started it. So uh, this show probably would not, well, my show would not exist if I hadn't come along the basement binge. So I'm always very appreciative uh, to have found this show and actually have, you know, sort of met Harrison, so to speak, uh, never in person. But uh, we've talked about that before at length, the friendship that we've developed because of this. But uh, with Matt Goes to the Movies, it's uh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to really do anything uh, solo for the past couple of weeks just because of work schedule. I've been doing some remodeling around the house and like any of my spare time has been taken up so i've i've really only made time to be a part of these like collaborative episodes which have been a ton of fun so uh nothing really new from matt goes to the movies for listeners that have been watching the channel uh there is stuff coming out though i will be on vacation for an entire week starting next tuesday so uh, the Tom Cruise episodes that I've been talking about will finally be released. I will have one on The Breakfast Club, and I might be able to slip in The Dark Knight Rises during that vacation and finish out the Christopher Nolan trilogy, so that would be a lot of fun to be able to get that done. Well, whenever those episodes come, 
very exciting episodes, I, particularly the Breakfast Club one. I, if you don't know, because he didn't say it this time, that is Matt's all-time favorite movie. And he, I remember when I asked him on the Bumblebee episode, he confidently said that. So I've been dying to hear at length your thoughts about the Breakfast Club. So I'll look forward to that whenever it's coming. So Matt's notes, I'm so grateful to have him here, especially knowing how busy he is uh, to be here for the show. It makes it super fun. So his show, Matt Goes to the Movies, you can find wherever you get your podcasts. Also, it's conveniently linked in the show notes for you to just click a link and go right to it. Um, you can also check him out on Podchaser and leave a review there as well because we both appreciate it. I know we both do. Um, so yeah, thank you again, Matt, for being here. Let's move on to the spoilers into the next segment, Pick Your Poison. This is the very unique kind of strange rating scale that we have here at The Basement Binge, where instead of out of reels or, or five stars or 10 out of 10 or whatever, we have four different options based on how we would interact with the film after watching it this time for the episode. The bottom of the list, to never watch it again, uh, straightforward. It's kind of self-explanatory. Above that is to stream it. This is the idea that it's on a streaming service you're already subscribed to and you're looking for something to watch. There's a hole in your content consumption and you're just wanting something to watch. You'd be willing to press play on this. Above that is to rent it. In a certain situation, you'd be willing to pay a few dollars, whether it's on some uh, video-on-demand service or Redbox or wherever you, you choose to get your rentals, Voodoo's, Amazon, Apple TV, uh, you'd rent it. Above that is to buy it, you know, Blu-ray, digitally buy it wherever, and watch it as many times as you want. Pay the full price for it. Matt, we'll just continue with you going first, so go ahead, and you pick your poison, and I'll follow up. Yeah, um, before I pick my poison, I would love if we could, because we mentioned, because Rob is not here, if before this episode actually gets posted... I would love to get just a simple quote from Rob in the show notes of how he feels about this movie. Um, Cause I think it would probably be pretty funny. So maybe we can get that in. Um, oh I, yeah. I feel like he wouldn't be too friendly. No. <laughs> I, I'll ask him. And if, if he gives me a response, this episode isn't going up for a while since recording. So if he gives me a response, I will even record it myself and put it in here. Uh, Right, I, right now, I'll leave myself some space right now to edit it in. So, but with that being said, uh, my pick, my poison is never uh, again. Um, I rewatched this movie for the podcast, and before talking, of, like before rewatching it, I would have said like this would be a stream. Uh, on my own accord, I can honestly say I would. Really, never want to watch this movie again, uh, just because it actually like it hurts me to to think about this movie and watch uh, and think about what it probably could have been and what it actually is. So, um, and if if that doesn't reveal a spoiler for probably who's going to be the rotten, I I don't know if you still want to guess, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just. It would take like a big group to be like, hey, uh, a bunch of friends together, like, let's throw on turtles. And even then I might be like, well, I'll just go sit outside. Let me know when it's over and then I'll hang out with everybody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, this this would be a never again for me. OK, I am for the purpose of sticking to this, the, the, the rating that I've given it, I would put this at a stream where I'm not really going to watch it on my own. Uh, and this is why this, this 
rating scales flawed is because I already own this movie. I own the Blu-ray. I got a, got a discount use at FYE, whatever. So I already own it. And I have watched it multiple times. And having watched it this time, uh, yes, I will probably watch it again years from now because it holds a special place in my heart because of the story that I told in the episode that, again, Matt, you haven't heard, which I will explain in a moment. I, I know I keep mentioning it cryptically. I'll explain it to you so you understand. Um, so for like that, it holds kind of like a significant place in like my discovery of my love and passion for film. So for that, I'd revisit it and that reason alone. Or if a group of people are like, hey, let's watch it. Like it's not so bad that I'd be like, oh, no. I would watch it uh, just because I like watching movies. Um, but it's going to be a long, long time till I watch this again. Uh, if I didn't have the Blu-ray already, though, it would probably be a never watch again. Like just having the Blu-ray is kind of what motivates. Like, oh, yeah, it's, I already have it. I can throw it in and watch it. If I didn't already, it would probably be a never watch again. So, yeah, you're already breaking me down. <laughs> um, which is a bummer because I, I went into this being like, oh, yeah, like I'm, I'm jazzed. Especially after I read that article that I mentioned and he was like saying that this was a great sequel. I, I hadn't watched it yet. I hadn't rewatched it yet, I should say. And so I was excited to be surprised by it. And then I was just let down. So with that, that's a perfect transition into Live Up. So the Live Up segment is where we talk about our expectations for the film and if the film was able to live up to those expectations. This is a segment that I usually save for films that one of the guests has never watched before, that this was their initial wash of it. Matt and I have both mentioned that we've seen this before. Um, so I don't want to talk too much about our expectations, but I'd love to talk a little bit more about uh, what was said in that article about this being a better sequel than the original. And so I want to ask you, Matt, why is it that you think this individual, well, let me see who wrote it, what's his name? Scott Mendelson at Forbes. Why would he believe that this is better than the first? And because we had wonderful things to say about the first, and now we're completely contrary to that. I, I here's my, uh, like, here's my opinion on that. Because um, I've been trying to think about that ever since you said it. Like, it's just been going in the back of my head. I think that if you look at this movie, again, from a a turtle standpoint and what it represents, you represent Shredder, not in a Megatron costume. You have the Foot Clan, which is kind of more in line with the Foot Clan. You have Casey Jones. You have Krang. You have the Technodrome. You have Bebop and Rocksteady. You have all of the staples of what people consider Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I think maybe he is focused on that. But for me, I focus on the fact that this movie, again, just to me, is not fun. I admit there's every single there's every single ingredient there to make a Turtles movie. But it's not fun. Like, I did not have fun with this movie at all. And it starts right from the beginning. Like, this is not part of the question that you asked, but I just feel like it, it fits with what I'm trying to say. That opening scene when all of a sudden, like, Michelangelo says, 
turtle formation. I thought you said squirrel formation. Like, nope. No, thank you. Um, Because, again, in the first one, he was funny without being like, oh, you're just being a doofus. That opening line, I'm like, this is like this is ridiculous. This is the lowest common denominator for humor. Um, So, yeah, I I think maybe he looks at the pieces and not the whole because the pieces. This is turtles, plain and simple. Uh, But when you put everything together, you for whatever reason, if the recipe was for 10 to 12, you somehow made it for, you know, 16 to 18 or whatever. Like you you screwed up the formula somewhere. Yeah, that's actually really, really well said. I the thing is, I asked you that question because I didn't have an answer myself yet. And so I wanted you to answer it so I could kind of rely on you. Then I I think you're right because I have to say that there are pieces of this that I really enjoy. There are some moments that are fun. Uh, there are some moments where, to me, Mikey is really funny, and that fun that I had with Mikey continues. But there are moments. It, it's never like a continuous th- thing. Where in the past film, the, the the fun with the turtles was continuous. Um, where here it's like, oh my gosh, they're annoying. Oh, in this one moment, it's fun. And it's hard to let that fun last because, like, like it's not just like it's oh we get fun moments and then just you know average moments. It's like we get fun moments and then unfun moments, if that makes sense. Uh, so that it's not just like that fun kind of can mellow out over an average scale. It's like undone by the unfun. Um, I'm really eloquent here, <laughs> but I, I agree with you that that there's things about this that definitely feel like the turtles, and I. F- do feel like the filmmakers and, and Paramount, everyone producing this film, tried to focus more on what makes the turtles the turtles and what makes TMNT a thing that people love, but without being able to keep the consistency of why we actually love them. Like, like we don't love Mikey because he's a turtle dressed in orange. Like, we love Mikey because he's Mikey. And I felt like... um we got the box, but it's empty. If that, if you get what I'm saying. There. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I totally agree. And I feel like it stems to, you know, even Casey Jones, uh, what version of Casey Jones is this? Because it's more of a fan service that he puts on the mask and uses a hockey stick for 13 seconds in the movie. But then, like, why is this guy Casey Jones? He could have been anybody else in this movie, and nothing is different. Um, it's fan service for the sake of fan service. And if anybody has watched Stephen Amell, that's who plays Casey Jones. He's a very talented actor. He's he's plays Arrow on the CW. He did when the show was around. In phenomenal shape has done incredible fight scenes on that show has shown a wide range in acting. And he's just, he's to me, he's laughable in in this movie. And his, he's like, that's officer. And I'm going to be a detective someday. It's like, Oh, um, okay. Uh, Do you mean with your Halloween costume that you're going to buy? And and mom's going to take you trick or treating because you're, you're not tough. Like he's just reduced in this movie. Um, 
you know, it, it's there's just some odd choices uh, in, oh, yeah. in this movie. I, I agree, and I'm so glad you mentioned that line. I was going to as well. It, it's just so cringy and so unnecessary and doesn't fit the character of Casey Jones at all. Like, if you remember in the original live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when Casey Jones was introduced, like, he's kind of this bad boy, uh, and he's fun, and, he, and he's in the shadows, and and it's awesome. And, like, like, that's the thing that every teenager wanted to be was, like, this bad boy with a hockey mask who fought with the turtles where here he wears a hockey mask like once or twice in that kind of initial scene where he's with the turtles and where he like actually feels like Casey Jones is fun. But that is literally like a 13 second scene. I'm being hyperbolic there. And then he's, he's someone completely different who just calls himself Casey Jones the rest of the movie. And it just doesn't fit. And, and it's a bummer because Casey Jones is a sweet character. And, and here it's just, well, we just gave a character the name Casey Jones. Yeah. Also, too, there's just there's so many weird scenes with like transitions and the one and I watched, you know, watching this movie again. It's so when. Oh, God, April um, meets Baxter, you know, Baxter Stockman. He's like, as much as I would like that a girl like you, like you not going to know who I am, which, again, is just so cliche and so cheesy um, to even say that, like. When she first of all, what is her digital display on her watch? Is she the only one that can see that? Like, what what is that LED 3D screen that she has that says that she's hacking his computer that's in plain sight of everybody, but yet she's the only one who notices it? Yeah, like, yeah. That's weird. And then when she's tracking the guy um that has the data, how does she like she first of all she steals she steals the she the skirt from the shop and then she somehow goes from pants to a skirt in the next scene like <laughs> as, as as she's walking it's just this weird transition it's like oh so you just stole from a convenient like you just stole from this store and that's like I don't know because you're Megan Fox and you're in a skirt now. Like, there, it, it's just I'm. It's just so <laughs> stupid. It's so dumb. Oh, yeah, oh it, man, it is. And that's one of the sad things as well, is because like, I mean, there is like one scene where she's really objectified in the first film. But f- as far as like female objectification goes in films, it's pretty mild. Where here it's just full on like, well, here's your Megan Fox scene. And watching it, I was just like, how stupid. Right, uh, she has to she has to tie her shirt off so her midriff is exposed. Like, yeah. it's yeah, it's St- ridiculous. Stupid, stupid, stupid. So, as part of this live up, we've already kind of been talking about it. We already talked about Casey Jones. We talked a little bit about April O'Neil, aka Megan Fox. I want to talk about the other characters in this story, separate from the turtles, because last episode we talked about our tur- the turtles and our favorite one, um, and how that film they lived up to it or or did not. What about the new characters that we got here? Uh, so let's talk about Shredder again, because I feel like it's a completely different Shredder. Uh, if you want, you can talk about um, uh, Splinter, and then definitely Krang, and then Bebop and Rocksteady. These characters who are rich to the history of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, is this version of them living up to that as well? Um, yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts about that? So it, here's always been my assumption. Is Shredder younger because the mutagen spilled on him I, I, I have no idea and on that note the film ended with him 
like grabbing some of the mutagen on his finger to like save it. Uh, you know, you're not you're not gonna do anything about that. So probably maybe he just rubbed it all over his face. He uses moisturizer every night. Yeah, like that's like honestly, like that's my that's my self explanation for why he looks younger. Um, because like from a technical standpoint, I I mean the turtles wouldn't know what he looks like, so whatever. Um, but like that's why I feel like it's somewhat they treat this like a reboot. Because why is Shredder young? Like, okay, oh, yeah. so I just I assume that because the mutagen was on his hand like that had that effect on him where it made him younger. Um, you know, shredder here's where I have more of a problem with him in this movie. Um, and I guess it stems more looking back on the first one in the first teenage mutant Ninja turtles live action movie. There was a personal stake between them. In the first movie, it didn't feel like anything was personal between Shredder and the Turtles. And in this in this one here, it's kind of hard to just suspend the belief that it's personal now between the Shredder and the Turtles, just because of going back and thinking about the last one. So I like his outfit. I again, I hate the fact it's, you know, it has to be a hundred percent pure black. We couldn't get any of the cool purple in there. Um, but he's wasted in this movie again. He's, he's on screen to do nothing. We only, we get his helmet for, you know what? We get his full outfit for 45 seconds. Um, and then he goes out like a noob. Right. And then he's for, you know, he's frozen by Krang. Um, he's once again, wasted in, in this movie. He does, he does nothing. He sends Bebop and Roxetti to go get things. And that's that's his role in this movie is to let you know his henchmen are going to go from point A to point B to get the MacGuffin, which is in the most obvious spot ever. And you're telling me not one person in the rainforest where they find the one part in the museum ever stumbled across that this thing opens up it like it the way that they find the parts to make the technodrome are just again it's it is dumbed down to the least common denominator of how to get from point a to point b um i think they did a terrible draw a job with shredder in this movie at least he got to fight in the first one uh, in this one, you see him attempt to throw a punch and he's frozen. Um, totally. So, wasted. yeah, he's he's totally wasted in this movie. The I'll switch to Splinter really quick. And then if you have anything to say about that, I don't want to just talk this whole time. The only reason that bad decisions happen in this movie is because I guess Splinter has gone to like Wegmans or Tops or you know, wherever you live, if you're listening to this episode, whatever grocery store you have, Winn-Dixie, whatever it is, apparently Splinter just goes off and he's gone because the decisions and the arguments that the Turtles get into only happen because apparently the layer is bigger than it was made out to be in the first movie. Because where where is Splinter when these arguments are going on about the mutagen and they could turn human? Like, 
he's just totally gone. He's he's disappeared. He's not around, which causes conflict for no reason. Again, it's it's lazy script writing with him. Um, I, I just I don't understand it. Yeah, I, I will say that they did a better job with the design of the characters, like both Shredder, although he's missing his iconic purple, and Splinter both look way better. Oh, but- Splinter looks a heck of a lot better in this movie than the first one. Like, I forgot how bad he looked in the first <laughs> yeah. one compared to the second one. Like, just his his face, looking watching that first one and then watching the second one, his face is terrible in the first one. Oh, yeah. And so they did a, a way better design. But they're literally there just hardly at all. They're, they don't mean anything. And I agree with what you said about Shredder, that nothing about this relationship between the Shredder and the Turtles feels like they're an arch and nemesis, you know, like kind of like it feels like, oh, my rival Shredder, you know, my, my enemy Shredder. And it's just like, oh, this happens to be Shredder. And like the motivation for the Turtles is they're just four brothers who love New York. They just love this city. Like, okay, what stupid motivation. Um, I mean, it's great to love your city, but uh, I don't know. And it doesn't feel relatable in any way. It doesn't I don't feel invested in it. Um, and I, also just on the characters, on the turtles real quickly, it, it really bothers me how they just forgot everything that they learned before about working hard. And now this is what I thought, or not working hard, working together. Now this is what I have to say about that. Working together one time in like a moment of conflict is completely different than building like a cohesive team that's filled with diversity and different ideas like that. One is way harder than the other. And so I get like the struggle to have that, but like the struggle to even desire that is really stupid. Like Leonardo was someone who wanted to unite them. And now he's somebody who just wants to be really divisive. Like, did he learn nothing? Did he forget everything? And he has like a childish argument with splinter about needing to work with him. And he's like, like Raphael's brain is in his biceps. And then he says something about everybody. And, and it's like, what the heck? Like, this isn't Leo. Um, and it, maybe they were trying to, like, drive home the teenage idea behind it, but it, nothing about it felt like Leo. Nothing felt like the Turtles. And, and it just feels like a really dumb reset. I mean, like, leadership is tough, but we don't need just stupid drama. Like, like if you want to have genuine drama where he's, like, struggling to be a leader and struggling to get them to be a cohesive team, that's different when they're, like, making efforts and they're just not good at it yet versus just flat out you know, being a joke. Uh, yeah, I, I think I just, sorry, the one thing that, you know, when you're talking about Leo that really killed it for me is what felt like a total betrayal was his line when he says, there's only one vote that counts in this family and that's mine. Uh, uh, okay, where did that come from? When when did you have that attitude? He, he's always been the one that holds them together, holds them together the most. He's been the glue the entire time. Yeah, I just I, I didn't like how he acts like he, you know, uh, the brother's opinion doesn't matter. Like that was to me, that was a really, really forced line. And again, it's manufactured conflict because then Raph, who was upset that Leo makes a decision, ends up throwing the mutagen against the wall without being like, Okay, well, Mikey, Donnie, what do you want to do? I don't know. Maybe two of them want to take it and two of them don't. Like, I don't know, but you were mad at Leo for making the call for everybody. And then Leo says, I'll do whatever you guys want to do. And Raph's the one to throw it against the wall. Like, well, you didn't ask Donnie or Mike if they still want to do it. Yeah, I, 
and I felt like the con. I mean, they've incorporated really forced contention and forced drama and conflict. Then to just have it resolved quickly, and it's almost like they realized they were having the same conflict that they had with the first film, and they're like, oh, we can't resolve it in the final fight like we did last time. Like, we got to resolve it before so that we can have a different final fight. And it was just really stupid. Uh, which, which is the final fight's pretty much the same. Oh, yeah. Really does. Like, the final fight against Krang is the final fight against Shredder. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> Um, two characters that I do really enjoy in this film, though, is Bebop and Rocksteady. Now, my memory of them from the other things is is not as great. I hardly remember them at all, but I do remember them being like really stupid, goofy goons for Shredder. And for the most part, like I really felt like they were fun in this film. Uh, there was a few times I'm like, yeah, they're just kind of like stupid, like they're just cannon fodder, particularly towards the end. And again, I feel like the the last third of this movie is completely different than the first two-thirds um but for the most part i really do enjoy them and i felt like they were well done and the, and the two actors who portray them particularly the one who plays bebop like he just he encaptured like this this goofiness that uh really works yeah i i i do like them they are one bright spot in this movie for me i thought they were done very well um even when they're in hum- you know even when they're in human form um I do like them. The line, though, to get that, like, why they turn, like, oh my god, just the way the line is delivered, like, oh man, inside all of us, there lies a dormant animal, like, Gene tying us to our animal ants, like, oh my god, um, but once they're, like, actually Bebop and Rocksteady that we know from the cartoons, I I do enjoy them a lot, actually, I I think they're pretty fun. I I do, too. Um, so yeah, any other comments you have about live up and all before we move on to binge points? Um, I mean, I feel like Krang, I feel like his design was cool. I like the way that they designed Krang. Um, a weird little thing though. Why, when we first meet him, does the robot have eyes? And then the next time that he's on screen, he doesn't have a head. Yeah, that was weird. Also, like, why is he in the beginning of the movie just to disappear until the end? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's... Yeah, I, again, just totally, totally wasted. He's... You know, he literally... Again, like, the the way that this movie plays out, the end fight is the same as the Shredder fight. And Krang is literally Shredder from the first movie, but he has what? Well, he fights in the sewer and then he fights Raph. You know, he has two less fight scenes, but his presence in the movie is that of Shredder. It's like, oh, you're supposed to be this big bad, but you don't get and you don't get anything about him. It's just and how you mentioned when they're running up the thing and Donatello's like basically he he should have just on screen had the script in his hand. Um <laughs> but my computer says it's ring. It's run by an officer named Krang. Like, really? What, what computer do you have? Like, yeah, and he knows it's how, called the Tetna drone. Like, how did you know any of that? Like, how do you have this? How do you have this? Um, but yeah, it's 
again, it, it was cool to see him on screen at first. And then he comes back on screen at the end of the movie. And I remember the first time I saw it and, you know, even the second time just going, wait, why doesn't he have a head now? Like what happened to the robot's head? Um, weird. I remember that. Um, and then the, you know, we get the police, Laurel Linney and, you know, who's actually a very talented actress who plays whatever the head of the FBI or whatever, you know, whatever she's playing and yelling at Casey Jones at the beginning, like you let shredder get away. Well, did you not see the, like, I don't know, eight, cars or you know sports bikes or whatever those things are that they were on like yeah let's not make mention of the ninjas and the freaking dimensional portal that like <laughs> nobody's like oh what happened there um that helped him escape but it's just the other thing too i'm i'm sorry because their character when the turtles break into the police headquarters <laughs> and that the cop like trying to go for the award for best extra they're monsters they're monsters like <laughs> like oh my god it's there's just some of the cringiest lines um like in this movie and like one that i struggle with because i feel like in a good movie this line could have been very impactful because i do like what it would represent for them but that line that you mentioned of we're just four brothers who love this city and we hate bullies. If that would have been in a good movie, that line actually might have meant something to me because, yeah, it's the turtles who won't be accepted, but still love like they still love that city. And they're going to do like they're going to do right by it. That would actually be impactful if it was in a good movie. Um but it's not. I agree. Well said. Uh, so, with that, let's move on to binge points because I don't have anything else said and I feel like you worded it so well. So, let's move on to the next segment, binge points, where we can talk about Easter eggs, details, trivia, behind-the-scenes stuff, anything else we want to mention that doesn't fit into any of the other segments. Uh, and I just want to mention that I, two lines that I I genuinely laughed out loud hilariously too that Mikey said because most of the time he was kind of annoying but there were two lines that were just so off the wall and and whoever is playing Mikey delivered them so well um Noel Fisher uh that really got me laughing <laughs> where uh, they're looking at the teleportation that happened with Shredder at the beginning and Donatello says something about how there's teleportation event residue and Mikey's like man teleportation event residue man it's the worst <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then, yeah, that was pretty good. And then later, when they're tracking Bebot and Rocksteady, and they're in the plane flying, and they're saying they're like at this altitude, like moving so fast, uh, he's like, "Wow, they've achieved the power of flight. Good for them, man." You know, <laughs> right? Or I like to the hey, bringing back the Mohawk. Oh yeah, good for you, man. That was awesome. That was awesome. I mean, there there were some lines that like genuinely were funny. Or when Raph is struggling to jump out of the plane, he's like, "What would Vin Diesel do? What would Vin Diesel?" Do? Yeah, there's again, there's some there's some parts in there. Um, which, sorry, one more thing. Where, so they go to where South Africa to the rainforest. Bebop and Rocksteady get the device. 
so they have it. The turtles somehow lose them. Like, how did they lose them? And how did they? Because the plane's destroyed. How the heck did they get back? And why are they just like chilling in the lair? And then they get an alert that the Technodrome is starting to come through the portal. Like, you just you went home and and chilled. You didn't track them or anything. Like, why were you just back at the sewer? Yeah, it, it's and that's really the reason that I feel the the second half or the second third feels so different from the first two thirds. Um, is because the first two are really like these characters on a cat and mouse type thing trying to outbeat the other to the MacGuffin, which is kind of fun, especially with Bebop and Rocksteady. It's fun to see, are the turtles going to get them and they're fighting for it? Um, and Shredder's in a, it, it's kind of menacing, not really, you know, and they're, they're all trying to get after these things in a certain way, whether they're trying to break into the, the police headquarters or go to Brazil or wherever they're going, you know, they're, they're, it's the same thing. And then suddenly it's like, oh, the Technodrones here. Um, and the turtles were just, they just gave up after that. They were just chilling in their, their lair. It's kind of weird. Um, other bench points that I want to mention, um, I don't really have any details. So this is, so this is what I talked about in the other episode that I keep cryptically mentioning to you, Matt, that you haven't listened to yet because uh, it's not out. So if you've listened to that, this is a little bit of a repeat. But what I talked about how one of the few things that I remembered from this and when, when I was watching this second time, one of the things that I was genuinely looking forward to, like in, in anticipation, I can't wait until this one scene happens. It's literally like three seconds where the transition happens. I don't remember what comes before that, where it transitions to Bebop and Rocksteady in Brazil, driving the tank, looking for the thing, and the song uh, War plays. And, uh, there is something about that scene that just ins- like flicked something in my brain that has inspired me in such a way that I legitimately have a script written out, like a, like a full-on screenplay with proper screenplay writing of an action scene that I want to direct one day to that song that starts with a very similar transition. And, and there's something, like I said, there was, there was like one of three things that I remembered about this film. I remember the really stupid scene with Megan Fox at the beginning. I remember that Bebop and Rocksteady were in it, that Krang was in it, that that transition happened with war and the scene where Will Arnett is like looking for the extra camera and he, he his face goes up in the clock and he's like, right on time. Those are literally the only things I remembered about the movie. And to remember a transition that really is pretty insignificant in the film, for whatever reason, has been so impactful in my brain and my desire to create in the format and medium of filmmaking where this film has like a special connection to me, even though everything around that three-second transition is, is really flawed. And, and that's what, uh, one other thing that I'll add as well, in addition to my love for that scene. Not the score, like not the musical score, but the music that's added in. There's a few scenes, including the really stupid uh, change scene that Megan Fox has, um, the war scene. There's a few others that I can't remember right now. I love the use of the music. Whoever directed this, I really love the way he uses non-score type music and it only happens a few times and again it totally falls off after the second uh, third of the film and, and never comes back but the first two acts of the film it's in there in a way that I really really like um, and I think works really well particularly that one scene I don't know why it works so well for me but it does yeah no I will agree like even though the scene is really ridiculous um, where Megan Fox changes so that she can download the rest of the data 
uh yeah i like the actual use of music um not the score because again the score is literally just let's copy and paste the transformers theme because it's the same guy who did transformers that does this movie um so it, it feels copy and pasted but yeah i will say when that scene first comes up with war what is it good for i every time that song comes on and that like I like bob my head to it. Like I enjoy that song and I enjoyed that scene. So I think the actual use of music is well done in this movie. But again, it's it is very few and far in between, which is a bummer. Um, I I don't want to just talk a ton for you, but two other bench points that I just want to add really quickly is that um there is a proper use of a Dutch angle in this film, and anytime I see one, I have to point it out because. There are so many films, especially Thor, I'm looking at you, where they use Dutch angles way too much. And then this, towards the end, when the Tetna drone is forming and all the people are looking at it, it uses it in an effective, proper way. And it's my favorite camera movement. So every time someone uses it properly, I'm like, oh, they get it, they understand. It like makes me giddy, so I have to point it out. Um, yeah, that actually, yeah, they did a really good job with that. I did think that was actually really good. Um, but those are all the Ben's points I have. Do you have any others? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it at the beginning, but, um, you know, that scene where Shredder is being escorted, that was filmed in Buffalo, and it was filmed in downtown Buffalo, um, right around where I live, uh, right by uh, there, it's where the Buffalo Bisons play, which is a uh, minor league ball club. They are the minor league affiliate for the Toronto Blue Jays, for people that watch baseball. Um so that's like really cool. I mean, we had parts of a quiet place Two shot here and things like that. So uh, it was really cool because I actually saw some of that being filmed while they were doing that. So to have that whole scene be filmed right here, um, you know, in downtown Buffalo on our throughway um, was actually really cool. That is cool, actually. And that's one thing that I actually want to add in about that scene is I feel like the practical stunts, uh, while, you know, edited in the very dumb, generic way that we see that are edited way too quickly, for the most part, the the practical stunts are done really well, including the sweet garbage truck. I mean, that garbage truck is awesome. Um, but I, I I know I like the vehicles. I like the speeding uh, bullet bikes. You know, that the practical action, for the most part, was was done well. It's just edited in an annoying way. Uh, so Harrison, not a binge point, but cause again, it's kind of the, it's in the same vein, which scene is better to you? The river scene where they're going down the river and he shoots the tank or the mountain scene with the avalanche. I, I was actually expecting you to ask that because I was thinking about how similar those scenes are. I have to go with the snow scene just cause there's something about it that I love. And the river scene, I completely forgot existed. Like, like when it started, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the scene. So there's something about this one that is completely forgettable, where the other one, it, for me, is super rememberable. Like, even now, I just watched this that scene, like, two days ago. Besides it being in the river and the turtles kind of fighting over the thing in the tank, I can't remember much else about it. Uh, but what do you think? No, I, I definitely agree. I think... Um... I think the avalanche scene is much better minus the, again, the complete sexualization where 
you know, April's hanging out of the truck trying to get pictures for some reason, trying to get pictures, um, you know, at that time. And, you know, it's just like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. keep keep doing that. That's good. It's like, oh, God, come on. Um, but, yeah, I think that scene is is much better, but they're just they're so similar. And, you know, it was like, OK, we need something that basically checks the boxes of the first one. What do we do? So. Uh, I yeah. agree. I, I think the first one is much better than the second one in terms and of that scene. I agree. And it really feels like they were trying to like emulate. I, I'm assuming that that was one of the scenes that people really enjoyed. And I feel like they were trying to recreate it in a different way. And it's like, well, instead of snow, we'll just have water, which is just melted snow. <laughs> you know, uh, so it's kind of dumb there. I will say a bench point that one of the the camera movements that I love in the first film was when they get like that GoPro locked off shot on Donatello in the snow scene. They did that again with Mikey at the end on a skateboard. I, I, there's something about that camera locked off shot that just really works for me. Even though I know it's CGI, I, I love it when they do that. It works for me so well. Yeah, I again, there's there's some things here and there that work with this movie. Um, some of the camera shots are, are good. Um, it's it's just a shame that there's they're so far in between like there's so few and far in between that it's it's hard to remember them unless you like watch the movie recently at least for me uh, i completely agree uh last two bench points that i want to and then we'll move on that i mentioned earlier that scene where will arnett's character is looking for the hidden camera it's behind the clock and he goes and looks up on it I, I, that scene is so funny to me it really makes me laugh and I, I've got to find a way to make it a meme where he's like, his face is in, in a wide angle right. lens and he's like, <laughs> right on time. I, the, it cracks me up so much. So I just had to mention again, somebody make that a meme and send it to me at the email, bingebasement at gmail.com. There it <laughs> make is. Make a meme. Um, but the other one, you mentioned a line where you're talking about the turtles uh, saying they love the city and how that would really work better and be impactful in a better movie there was another line for me that was very similar and splinter says this as the turtles are making a decision about whether to take the uh the purple ooze thing after the the forgetting the word of it what they call it um i think the they purple. just call it the mutagen the mutagen thank you i can remember that word um and they're trying to decide whether to take it or not and splinter comes up to them and says your boyhood is coming to an end you are now young men and the decision is up to you or something like that. But particularly the phrase, your boyhood is coming to an end. I heard that. I was like, wow, that's a great line. I got to write that down. And I was like, but it doesn't work. Like it, do it has zero impact. Right. Exactly. Which is a bummer. Um, so yeah, those are all the bench points I have. Do you have any others or are you ready to move on? Yeah, no, I, uh, I do not have any others. Okay. Well, let's move on to the next segment: Lease and likes. This is where we talk about our least favorite scene. And our favorite scene. I think that we're going to have more to talk about about our least favorite scenes. So let's do our favorite scene first. If it wasn't obvious from the previous episode that, again, you haven't listened to, Matt, um, but that I talked about a little bit, my favorite scene, just because of the way that it's impacted my mind, is that, that three-second transition that, that uses the song War, What Is It Good For? as Bebop and Rhapsody are driving the tank in Brazil. There's something about it that has impacted my brain and lodged itself in there that I just have to pick it as my favorite scene. Yeah, it's it's hard to pick a favorite scene in this movie because I feel like also, too, the action in this movie is filmed a lot tighter 
than the last movie, so it's hard to see some of the things going on oh, sometimes. Um, but if I had to, like, if I had to pick a favorite scene for me, it would be where Shredder is attempting to escape. I do feel like that's actually a really good scene. Um, again, just because a lot of it seems very practical, it doesn't seem like heavily CGI. Even the turtle van. Uh, with the manhole covers flying out, the giant nunchuck arms, it doesn't look like ter- it does not look like terrible green screen. I like that scene a lot, actually. I think it was filmed very, very well. Uh, so that would be for me. That would be my favorite scene. Okay, that's a good one. I agree with you. It is hard to pick one. If it wasn't for the way that that random transition has lodged itself in my brain, it would be hard to pick a favorite about this. And I want to comment real quickly about what you said about the action. It's a bummer because one of the things that I really enjoyed about the first film was like, because they were doing so much of the action with CGI and with motion capture, they could have really kind of inter intricate, smooth, cinematic long takes in their action, like the snow scene that we mentioned. That's that's like really great to watch. Uh, where here they did a little bit more practically. There was more actions, you know, with like Casey Jones and other characters and those they really filmed tight and choppy like so many people do. And I felt like they were like, oh, we can't have like really smooth turtle action and then choppy Casey Jones action. So they kind of like ruined both of them, (laughs) which is a bummer because when it, they should have kept going with what really worked good Um, because I agree the action here is just a complete mess. Yeah. So, <laughs> let's move on. If, if we haven't said enough negative things already, to our least favorite scene. I'll let you go first. Oh, boy. Uh, least favorite scene. I would have to say it's... It's got to be the end where they fight Krang just for the simple fact that, you know, even the first time I saw it, but especially the second time because I watched these two movies so cl- like. I watched these two movies back to back Um, and watching the first one and then watching the second one, just the fight against Krang. It was, I literally just saw this an hour and a half ago. Um, And it's the exact, it's the exact same thing. Uh, So watching them so close together, I just really can't shake the fact that it's just, again, it's, it's cookie cutter. It's copied and pasted from the first one. It's just, it's the same thing with just a different guy. So I really don't like that ending scene at all, just because it's, you know, snap of your fingers and here it comes and here it goes. Wow. Really? What you just barely said, really well said. I was trying to pull it up here on my phone because I had to watch this film in two settings, actually. So let me try and get back to where I was. Um, So, yeah. The, I had to break this up into two watches, and I watched the first two-thirds of the film um, that are really good, where they're chasing down Bebop and Rocksteady. They're searching for all the pieces of the Tetna drone. And I got to the part where there's literally 30 minutes left, and it's right after they fail to catch um, Bebop and Rocksteady in the river, and then April and Casey get out of prison because... Um, Will Arnett's character helps him. So like right after that, literally right before the Tetna drone starts coming, uh, that's where I stopped. And there's 30 minutes left. The last 30 minutes of the film are my least favorite in every way. Everything they try to do that's impactful, you know, like saying the turtles love the city, the turtles trying to be accepted, 
uh, and the police force coming to accept them because of April and because of what Will Arnett's character says, uh, fighting Krang, n- none of it works, and it, it feels completely separated from the rest of the movie that it really felt like I was watching two different movies um, because of the way that I so randomly happened to break it up. It really felt like two different films. Those last 30 minutes just don't work in any way with the turtles and also just with the rest of the film, which is a bummer. And you couldn't even, again, like you'd throw some fan service in there, but you couldn't even for fan service throw Casey back in his mask. Like when he's going to try and distract Bebop and Rocksteady just for like, I don't know, maybe protection as you're going up against these giant creatures. Like you couldn't even give us Casey Jones, like in Casey Jones outfit for one last scene. Um, And that's part of my like big problem with modern movies is, you know, everybody now is a star and everybody has to get their face time. So these characters that are, you know, they wear helmets and they wear masks like, nope, you might get the mask for 35 seconds because we we got to show their faces. You know, it happened in the Power Rangers movie for the reboot. Like, I was just going to bring up that example. You know, the, of course, the visors have to go up. Uh, if anybody's watched the new RoboCop, half the time the visor goes up and it only comes down when he's in defense, you know, when he's in defense or attack mode. Um, it happens here where Casey doesn't wear his mask. It's just like... Um, the, the only movie that's like successfully done it for me where it's goes, this is what the character is. And I, Harrison, I would doubt that you would ever see it just because of how, I don't know, violent it is. It doesn't seem like you're into those kind of movies would be the movie dread with Carl Urban because he wears the, he wears the dread helmet, the entire movie. You never see his face cause you're not supposed to, um, it's I just have part- not seen that. But I've wanted so many people have said good things about it, particularly in the way that you just said that it's it's a great showcase of how to do a character with a mask in a in a good way. And it's made me want to see it. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's one of the movies that I actually own in 3D that when I watch it, I will watch it in 3D at my house because it's so good in 3D. It adds so much to the movie, but it's actually like it's pretty violent. There's some pretty violent parts to it. But in terms of like a movie and a story and staying really true to the character of Dread, it's one of the best ones I've ever seen that takes a comic book property and just it, it does not veer off course. But yeah, that's one of my problems is with these modern movies. I, like, it, you know, everybody just has to get their face time. And it's like, look, I know the character I signed up for, but eh, I'm not wearing that. Yeah, really, really stupid. I completely agree. Um, one thing that I do want to add before we get to, into the last segment here um, that I forgot, and I'm glad I double-checked my notes, I should have brought this up in the binge points or as one of the scenes that is my favorite. Uh, one of those few moments where Mikey's humor actually really works for me is when he's introducing the Turtles, I think it's to Casey for the first time, and like the silly music starts to play, and I literally pulled the quote up here. He's like, Donatello over there in the purple, he's technically a genius who is technically a genius. <laughs> and then Raphael over there in the red, he's like a big cuddly teddy bear. If big cuddly teddy bears were incredibly violent, this is Leonardo. He's the blue, fierce leader, silent but deadly. And I'm Michelangelo, sporting my signature orange. I'm a triple threat, brains, brawn, and obviously a dazzling personality. Ladies like to call me Mikey. And then Leonardo's like, are you done? He's like, uh, 
Yeah. And the music stops. Like, there's there, that scene really works for me. I think it's well written. I think it's funny. Uh, I should have brought that up earlier, but I would feel sad if I didn't because I felt like it did work. Um, yeah, it, it was funny, the, especially the way that the music was done and like the, the movement and almost like swagger uh, and mannerisms of Mikey, I felt like were really well done. Um, so, again, I had to mention it because there's, there's very few things that I can talk about positively about this film. So before we get into the last segment, friend, uh, fall in, before we get there, let's reveal the rotten. So this is where we give our rating out of five reels and reveal who the rotten is. So five reels, because we're bringing it over from Matt's show, that's what they do over there, what we have done. So I will go first, because we both guessed that you would be the rotten. So we'll, we'll stick with some suspense. suspense. We'll have a little drum roll or whatever. Out of five, I think that I'm going to give it this is hard. <laughs> I guess I had my mind made up. I'll say this. I had my mind made up at, at, at two and a half stars before this conversation, and now it's much lower. I think I'm going to stick with, I said two and a half stars, excuse me, two and a half reels. Um, I'm going to go with one and a half. One and, one and a half reels out of five. <laughs> because there, I, I mentioned oh. how this film... <laughs> <laughs> I, I've mentioned how this film has impacted me, how much I love it. I've mentioned some things that I like about it, like that random transition that's stuck in my head, but there, there is not much else that I want to go back to where this other film, I gave four reels because I loved it, and as, as cheesy and dumb as it is, I want to go back to it continually with this one. I genuinely forgot about it. Like not Even before I had a podcast and, and I wasn't critical of films in any way, I forgot about it. Like my brain just emptied it from my memory. And, and now that I have a more recent memory of it, I'm already forgetting it. And I don't really want to go back to it. And trying to find those moments that I really like are very, very few and far between. And it's like, man, one, I, I was going to give it two. And I just felt like, man, that's still not enough. So, so one and a half out of five reels. You had quite the reaction to it, Matt. So drum roll. You can give your rating. So as much as I hate to do this, this has been since the movie ended and I knew we were doing this episode. This has been my rating since the moment the credits hit the screen. And mine is one and a half as well. Um, oh, no I, I will not waver on that. Um, I, I really don't think it would be fair to go any lower just to be like, oh, well, I like it less than you. Like, I think one and a half is as fair as you can possibly be with this movie. Yeah, well said. And it's really interesting because I mentioned that article. I Obviously, I picked these films I, and forced Matt to watch them against his will. You know, I really bent his arm. Um, but I picked them. There was excitement that I had for them, including the sequel. Although I didn't remember anything about it, I remembered... Have it having an impact on me. Granted, I realize now it was just that one scene that I keep talking about that with war. What what is it good for? But I was looking forward to this. I thought that I would find ways to love its flaws, like I do so much with the first film. And then seeing that article where he talked about it was a great sequel that doesn't perform as good as the first. I was like, oh hey, like maybe I'm like this really is going to be good. And then I was just really disappointed. And then having the conversation with you really helped me flesh out those disappointments and realize like, wow, there, while there are parts of it 
that I do enjoy this, this is harder to watch because it's kind of frustrating, especially after loving the first so much. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's weird because, you know, with this one, you know, one and a half, again, just speaking from my point of view, I, I would, you know, I watch this movie because, hey, we're going to do it. I wanted a refresher. Now, I would not choose to watch this movie again. I said that, you know, in, in the previous segment. But it's it's just so funny how sometimes these movies like Batman and Robin, I would give mm. that probably one and a half reels. But would I watch that movie again of my own free will? You're absolutely right. I would. And I would still give it one and a half. But for entertainment value where I can sit there and laugh and go, wow, I can't believe they made this movie. Yeah, I'll give it a five because that movie entertains the crap out of me because it's so bad that it's funny. This movie, I, it's more of a, it's so bad, it upsets me. Um, because I, I, again, you have the recipe right in front of you with the characters that you put into this movie, and you somehow just screw up the directions, um, if that makes sense. Like, everything is there to make a good movie, and you just didn't execute. And that's why this one is like a different one and a half than say like a Batman and Robin would be for me. Yeah. Good sum up. So I guess we're both a rotten. Um, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, I, I was going to say I'm surprised about, but after this conversation we've had, I'm not surprised. What do you, do you, what do you think? Do you think Rob's given this, do you think Rob's given this a one? Do you think Rob's listening? To, do you think Rob <laughs> is listening to this episode going, What? Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, he's having the reaction you did. Um, (laughs) I I think I'm trying to like remember the times that Rob gave something a half real, like as low as he could give it. Um, I I think that there are parts of this that he would find redeemable in some way where he wouldn't go all the way down to a half and he would give it one. Uh, But I don't think he'd be up at one and a half with us. I don't think I just in general, I don't think he's as forgiving as we are. Yeah, I I feel like it's either he's either going one, he's either going one below us and he's a one, or I feel like he's a two. I feel like it's a, it's a half a reel on either end of it for him. Yeah, I agree. I'll be interested to ask him. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I can get his reaction before I upload this so that I can, you know, throw in a recording for that. Um, okay. So let's end with the last segment here. Fall in if we can in any way. So fall in. What this is, is this is something that, I have to do for this because again, Matt, in the in the episode you talk that you haven't listened to that I'll explain to you real briefly. I talked about how well, obviously just go listen to it when it is uploaded, but I t- as briefly as I can say it without trying to be repetitive is that at a very transitionary period in my life where I was young um, and I was trying to decide what do I am I going to go to school for? What do I want my career and future to be like? And I didn't really have something solid. I started watching movies and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the first one was a film that I watched uh, that like got me to fall in love with making, not, not making, but fall in love with movies, if that makes sense. Like like just the genuine fun and, and blissful excitement that movies give me. And so that, in addition to a bunch of other things, led me to pursue a film degree. I went to school for film. I, I ended up dropping out, so on and so forth. And then the second one was one that watching it really stirred up a desire to not just enjoy them, but to create them 
on my own and to have like a creative passion for them that's carried over into the creation of this podcast. I'm really kind of summarizing this entire transition. There was a lot between then and now. Um, so as part of the podcast, as I'm trying to explain this as simply as I can, the final segment, Fall In, has been around since the beginning of the podcast. When I was explaining it to Kate and Kelton, I explained it to them in this way. I said, I love watching movies because they're entertaining. I love watching movies because they're fun and it excites me. And I love finding messages and meanings in these films, even when they're just silly entertainment, because I think that they can be found there even when it's not the primary intention. And so that was the idea behind Fall In, that, that like I want to, as difficult as it is, find meaning, worthwhile messages and lessons in these films that aren't primarily films that you would, would have that conversation about. And it's led to really phenomenal conversations that you and I have had, that I've had with Kate and Kelton, that I've had on my own in the podcast as I've recorded solo. Um, so it, to be true to form, I wasn't going to do it for this film because I don't know how we're going to do it. Um, but I realize I've got to because this was one of those films that really inspired that segment. They're like, hey, I really love watching fun movies that are primarily intended to be fun. But as someone who likes creating them, I like finding meaning in them as well. So with that said, I have some thoughts that I'm trying to kind of compile here. Do you have any off the top of your head? Uh, yeah, you know, I think so. Random, just quick fact, because you mentioned the first and second Turtles movie. Um, in the second Turtles movie, Secret of the Ooze, which I love, but it's admittedly it's it's not a great film um they don't use their weapons because parents filed complaints against the first movie that it was too violent no oh, weird <laughs> so that's that's why they never actually use their actual weapons in that movie weird yeah so uh parents said the first one was too violent but um <laughs> you know one of the things that i on this fallen segment is i mentioned the fact that hey we're four brothers who love this city and hate bullies part of that line and the episode that you're talking about that i haven't listened to yet um i'll obviously be really looking forward to listening to that but the first turtles movie is something that sticks with me a lot i adore that movie and as i have gotten older and continue to watch that movie and think about some of the things that are in there with shredder proclaiming to be you know father to all of these misfit kids and splinter saying you know all fathers care for their sons and thinking of you know just thinking about things like that like this line in this movie, I will say, makes me think about that first Turtles movie and how I don't know why, but them being four brothers who love the city it makes me think about the first movie and how much I love that because I feel like something like that in the first movie would have been so impactful. And if for some reason, that was a line in that movie. Um I just I feel like it would have been it would have hit you right in the spot where you just have a certain feeling about it. So for whatever reason, this movie being as bad as it is for me, I hope this makes sense. It does make me think, though, about the, you know, the first Turtles movie and why I like 
like turtles and why I actually have a very soft spot for them. Um, and think fondly about them uh, a lot more than like I've talked about. You know, really well said, actually, because I think that that's something that last episode, you, me, and Rob talked about how much we love these turtles and how our love for them makes it really easy to enjoy these films. And I think the reason for that being is that there's there's something that's just really endearing and relatable about four brothers uh, who are kind of goofy and into their own niche thing, uh, you know trying to live up to the responsibility that they feel is theirs and like trying to be them best self. Um, you know, like if, if that's not a relatable journey that we have in our, in our collective families, whether we're four brothers or an, an only child or whatever your, your family looks like, like that's a really being a teenager, trying to have relationships with your siblings, trying to like live up to responsibility and learn how to do the right thing in the world and navigate the influence that you have in the world, whether it's, shredder or splinter you know the good versus evil forces in your life if you want to label them that way like that is a very relatable journey and i think that's one of the many things in addition to what you're saying that makes the characters of leo donnie raf and and mikey so loved and so lovable yeah i i totally agree so very very simple fall in here but i guess we just really love ninja turtles is, is the sum up of the fall in. Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, again, I now I feel like I want to go back and actually I won't do it tonight, but I, I feel like I want to go back and watch the first Turtles movie. Because um, that was oh man, that one's actually really good. Uh, but it I digress because because I'll I'll start going off on I'll do a whole nother episode on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, well, maybe we should. It's pretty good. If, individuals, listeners right now, if you haven't seen it, I definitely want to check, check it out. I think it's on HBO Max. I'm not sure. Uh, at least it was at some point. So definitely check it out. Um, I know the, the animated one is on HBO Max. Oh, I didn't know that. I better watch that now. So to sum up this, this episode, some of this fall-in segment before I, I let Matt kind of give one last announcement about a show and plug it once again. I think to, to sum this up is that line that you mentioned about how there's kids just standing up for bullies because they love the city or standing up against bullies. And also the line that Splinter said that their boyhood is coming to an end. Like just the maturity that responsibility brings as you try to live up to that is something that I think all of us can relate to. Uh, and seeing four Ninja Turtles go through it uh, is something that I'll, I'll love to watch forever. Uh, that makes me want to be better at that at any point in my life that I'm in. Oh yeah. I'm grateful for uh giant green turtles that also happen to be ninjas because they're great to watch. And I, I appreciate learning lessons from them at any point in my life that I'm in. So thank you again, Matt, for being here. I really, really do appreciate it. It has been fun to not love this movie together. <laughs> so thank you for being here. I thank you for making the sacrifice to watch this film in the first place and then be willing to talk to me about it. So because of that, I want to give you a chance as we close out this episode to plug your great show, Matt Goes to the Movies, in any way that you'd like to. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's, uh, again, I, this is not a sacrifice. This is, it, it's so much fun even to watch something that I genuinely like don't have a ton of enjoyment for. It, I get excited to be, even be able to talk about it. Um, Cause again, 
this kind of stuff just brings us together. It brought two people who live states in in a you know two people who live in different time zones together um, to talk about movies. So I always enjoy doing this. It's it's a lot of fun and. You know, with Matt goes to the movies again. Anybody who's come over uh, from this show, or anybody who is, you know, originally, you know, listened to Matt goes to the movies and found the basement binge because of hearing Harrison or me talk about it on that show, like it's always appreciated. I never imagined when I started this that number one, like anybody would listen to it in the first place, let alone the amount of people that actually do listen to my show. So it's all like still very humbling and it makes it a lot of fun to just connect with people that, you know, I'll probably never meet, but have really engaging, interesting conversations with. So uh, with that being said, I mentioned it at the beginning uh, with Matt goes to the movies, been, you know, a little tied up with work and doing some extra shifts here and there. And, you know, kind of my in-between time being just dedicated to making sure that I'm a part of these episodes that we had planned together. Uh, I will, when I go on vacation next week, have the Tom Cruise episodes for um, Minority Report, uh, Equilibrium, or not Equilibrium, duh, uh, Minority Report, The Last Samurai, uh, Oblivion, and Top Gun. Uh, those will be up on the channel. And I'm also hoping to get the breakfast club episode that I talked about up and I will try to slip in cause I'm off for seven days, a dark Knight rises episode so that I complete the, the Christopher Nolan trilogy. So uh, I look forward to actually having time to get those done. Cause it's certainly been a while since I've been able to do anything individually. Well, I do look forward to those episodes whenever they come. I always appreciate the kind of things you have to say about the podcast. In that episode that I keep cryptically mentioning that I feel bad I didn't have time to get out beforehand, um, I mentioned how I'm, I'm kind of shocked, well, extremely grateful, but shocked how things went from watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles alone in my parents' basement on the couch with a dumb grin on my face all the way to now where you and I Somebody in Utah and somebody in New York who randomly met through podcasting are talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles together. Like that, that is, I've never, ever would have expected that to happen. And the fact that it is, is incredible to me. And uh, so I appreciate you being here. I appreciate the support that you've given to the Basement Binge. So, listeners who also listeners, I appreciate all of you who've, who've continued to support the Basement Binge. One more thing that I want to add here. Well, let me finish what I was saying, that sentence. So any of you who have continued to support The Basin Binge, definitely go check out Matt's show. If you like this one, I promise you'll love Matt's. I love Matt's show. So again, linked in the show notes or Matt Goes to the Movies, wherever you get your podcasts. Lastly, I'll add, uh, I meant to tell you this, Matt. I didn't realize this until I was editing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode. That was the 80th episode of The Basement Binge. And, and, and it's crazy to think about that, man... Something that started where myself, Kate, and Kelton were sitting in my parents' backyard trying to record an episode on the Spider-Verse and the sprinklers were turning on and birds were chirping and there was animals everywhere and spiders and it was like midnight and it was, it was, it was a horrible mess. But we released it anyway and I'm here at 80 episodes and now this is 81. It's just incredible to me that that's a thing. Uh, and so I appreciate you being here, part of the journey. It's been exciting. So, so thank you. 
Again, everybody, if you enjoyed this episode, or even if you didn't, please leave a review on podchaser.com slash the basin binge, also linked in the show notes. Very helpful to me to know what episodes you're enjoying. Additionally, it just really helps out the show for individuals to know that it's a show worth listening to. So podchaser.com slash the basin binge. Additionally, if you're up to the challenge of creating that scene with Will Arnett and the clock and the wide angle camera into a meme, please email it to me at bingebasement at gmail.com. I'll come up with some reward if you have a good one. So, yeah. (laughs) I don't know what reward I'm going to have now, but now I've got to deliver. Um, Yeah. Once again, everybody, thank you so much for listening to The Basement Pinch. I appreciate it. I can't believe that this is the 81st episode. Like, man, that's crazy. Um, So, yeah. Thank you, everybody. Once again, my name is Harrison and also been joined by Matt from Matt Goes to the Movies. But this is The Basement Binge. Thank you so much for listening. But that is all for now. Ciao, ciao. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.